The text for our consideration this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. Isaiah 1 to 6. Sorry, 1 to 8, chapter 6. The word of God says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And this is the word of God. Let's go again to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Fathers, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us there, Lord. I ask that you speak to us today. May we hear what you want us to hear, but not just hear, Lord. May we be changed. May we see your glory. May we see your holiness. May that change us, Lord. May we come away from here loving you more, loving each other, and loving our neighbor more. Open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. I remember back when I was a kid, I got to meet Ernie Reyes Jr. He was a young martial artist on a TV show called Sidekicks. I don't know if any of you remember that show. But back then I used to take martial arts. I took karate and my dad took me to the Philly Auto Show at the Civic Center. And we waited in line to meet one of my favorite TV stars, Ernie Reyes Jr. He was larger than life to me, and I was just this seven-year-old kid, but he wasn't much older than me at the time. But when I got up to him, I didn't know what to say. What do you say to somebody who you always waited to, to meet, and then you're in his presence? He was, again, larger than life to me, and I was just this little seven-year-old kid. But that feeling of worthlessness was nothing compared to how Isaiah must have felt in the presence of God. Maybe you've met one of your favorite celebrities, athletes, musicians, or maybe even a famous preacher or famous theologian. Maybe you always wanted to meet them, and when you did, you didn't know what to say. You were nervous. What do I say to this famous person? Well, multiply that by infinity, and we will still probably never know the level of experience that Isaiah had. 
In the text before us today, we see the prophet Isaiah is called into the presence of God. He was in the presence of true holiness. He was in the presence of someone who is more than a celebrity. He was in the presence of the creator and sustainer of the universe. He was in the presence of glory, of power, and of majesty. He was in the presence of a holy and righteous God. What would you do in his situation? How would you react? What would you do after if you were able to survive such an encounter with the Holy Lord who is overall? As we walk through this text this morning, we will see three things. First, we will see the Holy One in verses 1 to 4. Then we will see the unholy in verse 5. And then the made holy in verse 6 to 8. The Holy One, the unholy, and the made holy. And my prayer is, as we walk through this text this morning, we will realize that when we, des- we realize that we deserve damnation, but we get salvation, there's nothing we can do but respond in worship and proclamation. So let's begin. The Holy One. Verse 1. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two they covered their face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Do you remember, some of you might remember, when President Kennedy was assassinated? Some of you might remember... When the Challenger space shuttle blew up. Maybe a little more recently, some of you might remember the September 11th attacks. Or even more recently, some of you might remember the year we had COVID. These are memorable moments in history. And I'm pretty sure most of you experienced at least one of them, if not more. This is why Isaiah is using the death of King Uzziah to mark this time in history. King Uzziah was a memorable king. He was 16 years old when he began to reign, and his reign lasted 52 years. And he was fairly prosperous until that day he entered the temple to offer incense to the Lord himself, acting as a priest. An act God did not authorize him to perform. And then he was struck with leprosy and had to live away from his people until he died. This is whom Isaiah is writing to people who would remember this event taking place. This is memorable. This is as if saying, oh, the year that COVID hit was the year we adopted our son. You would know that year without me even saying the number of years. You would know that it's a memorable event. So that's why Isaiah starts this text with the year King Uzziah died. But it's also important to mention that the death of the king, because Israel was looking for a new king. They always wanted a king to rule over them. But Isaiah was brought up into the presence of the only true king, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. Isaiah starts to draw attention to this with what comes next. He says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Isaiah is brought before the presence of God. We immediately see God's authority and his holiness. Isaiah describes the scene. He sees the Lord sitting on a throne. Again, who sits on a throne? Rulers sit on thrones. Kings sit on thrones. Isaiah saw the real king. He saw him high and lifted up. 
The throne is above everything. Isaiah sees this king having authority over everyone. Next, Isaiah sees the train of his robe filling the temple. Basically, there was no place that his robe could not be found. Many commentators say his robe represents his glory. His glory was continually filling the temple. There's no end to his glory. There's no place in heaven or on earth that's not touched by the glory of God. Next, we have the thing that sci-fi movies are made of. People say the Bible is boring. No, not if you read this. What do we see? We see the seraphim. The word seraphim means fiery or burning ones. These are angelic beings. They appear to be on fire. Isaiah is looking at these beings that look like they are on fire. They have the appearance of fire because they are reflecting, again, God's glory. They are burning, yet they are not consumed, much like the burning bush in Exodus. Not only did they have a fiery appearance, but they had six wings. They covered their face with two. They covered their feet with two. And they flew with two. Charles Spurgeon says of these creatures, There are spirits that dwell in the presence of God nearest to him. And as he is a consuming fire, they come to be like him. For the seraphims are burning ones, consumers, burning and shining lights, who wait upon God, who is the light of life. Notice how humble they are in his presence. They cover themselves before that infinite majesty. Why do they cover their face and their feet? They cover themselves in humility. Why? It is because even though they know they are not holy like God, they know they need to cover themselves. They know they need to worship the Lord. You can hear it in their song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. This is their worship song. They sing it calling to one another in an antiphonal chorus. It's continuous. It never stops. It's never ending. It's the never ending praise of heaven. We even hear the same song in Revelation. Again, what do they sing? R.C. Sproul has pointed out they don't sing love, love, love. They don't sing just, just, just. They don't sing merciful, merciful, merciful is the Lord. While God is all these things, these beings sing three times using what is known as a superlative. It's a Jewish literary technique to drive home the importance of what is being said. They said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy means separate. There is no one like him. He is set apart from us. Not even the seraphim who are in his presence, who are without sin. They're not even like God. This is why they cover up. It is not just moral purity that makes God holy. He is perfect. The attributes I mentioned before, his love, his justice, his mercy, and many I didn't mention, are perfect. He is absolutely holy. There is no one like our God. No one loves like God. No one is merciful like God. No one deals justly like God. He is holy and set apart. And then the Lord speaks. And what happens when he speaks The threshold and the foundation shake. The temple is filled with smoke. More images of his glory, of his power, of his majesty. The smoke is reminiscent of the glory cloud in Exodus. It continues, much like his robe, to fill the temple. The quaking of the foundations is like his power over all creation. All this power shown in just the voice of God. What would you do? 
in that situation. You're in the presence of God. You're in the throne room of God. All this is going on around you. There's seraphim. What would you do? How would you react to be that close to holiness? Even if this was just a vision and he's not actually in the presence of God, he feels he is there. What would you do? This brings us to the second point, the unholy. Isaiah, in the three times holy God, he's not just meeting a local celebrity. He's in the presence of the God of the universe. And what happened? Verse 5. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For my eye has seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me, for I am lost. The King James translates this, I am undone. Isaiah's first reaction is woe. It's judgment upon himself. He announces a curse on himself. He sees the power and the great majesty of the awesome God, perhaps feeling even his end is near. He says, woe is me. This is what God many times has sent prophets out to say to others. Woe. In Amos 6, verses 4 to 7, we have the prophet say, woe to those who lie in beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock of calves from the midst of the stall who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, like David invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine and bowls, anoint themselves in the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you shall now be the first of those who go into exile. The revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. God pronounces woe on the people, judgment. They are not obeying him, they are not worshiping. They are empty graves. And Jesus himself pronounces woe. In Luke 10, verses 13 to 14, he says, Woe to you, Corzine. Woe to you, Bathsheba. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Saddam, they would have been repented. They would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Saddam than for you. But here Isaiah pronounces woe, pronounces judgment. Upon himself. He cries out, I am cursed, I am damned, I am doomed. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among the people of unclean lips. In the presence of a holy, righteous God, he is undone. He feels he is about to cease from existence, to be destroyed, brought to nothing. A man, maybe even some in his time, thought was holy. He has been spoken to by God. He has spoken for God. But he's nothing in the presence of God. How many of you, when maybe driving along in your car, notice a police officer behind you, and suddenly you straighten up? You start to feel anxious, thinking maybe you'll be pulled over. Oh no, what did I do? Maybe you get nervous of the consequences that are coming. But again... That's nervousness is nothing compared to being in the presence of a holy God, being a sinner in the presence of a holy, righteous God. Isaiah knows his guilt, and he cries out that his lips are unclean. All that comes out of his mouth is unworthy. Remember what Jesus says in Luke 6, 
Verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It is not just Isaiah's lips that are unclean. It is his heart. He needs a new heart. Isaiah is reduced to nothing in the presence of God. What about you? Have you been brought low in the presence of God? Have you seen your sin up against the holiness and righteousness of God? Have you cried out and woe? Woe is me. I am a man. I am a woman of unclean lips. I am unworthy. I am a sinner. I am undone. I am lost. I am nothing. I'm about to be destroyed. I deserve to be destroyed. But there's good news. This is our third point. The made holy. What should God do in the presence of such a man? What should God do in the presence of holy sinners? Isaiah brought to nothing in the presence of the king, the holy Lord of hosts. Has God react in a way he probably didn't expect? Isaiah pronounced judgment upon himself. Isaiah may have felt his destruction coming. Perhaps he felt the, well, the wrath of God already, the heat of the moment. But is that what takes place? Is that what our prophet Isaiah experiences? Not at all. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And it touched my mouth. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. One of these fiery angelic beings flies to Isaiah, taking a burning coal from the altar, the altar of sacrifice. And it touches this coal to the mouth of the prophet. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Imagine again being Isaiah, utterly undone in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. You're in his throne room, seeing his glory. You know you deserve to die right there, to be finished, to be undone. You're ready to be destroyed. Then this happens to you. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Guilt taken away. A fiery coal that should burn his lips cleanses his lips. A man who knows his guilt and his sin, he knows he's not worthy to be where he was, yet he was forgiven. His sins atoned for, taken away. Throughout the day, you probably throw things away in your trash bin. The trash builds up, starts to smell. So you take the trash out. Eventually you take the trash to the curb. Some men in a truck come, take that trash away. But then it starts again. Your trash bin builds up, starts to smell. You take it out, take it to the curb. It gets taken away. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. It's never ending. But Isaiah sinned atoned for. His sins are forgiven. His guilt is taken away, never to return again. Not like us throwing our trash out. Trash reaccumulates. Our sin, hear me, your sin is atoned for. Your guilt is taken away. It's not coming back. It never comes back. God now 
Christian, if you are in Christ, says not guilty. You are clean. Your sin has been atoned for. This is what God has said to the prophet. This is what God says to you. Again, you may not have been directly called up into the throne room of God. You may have not had a seraphim fly to you with a burning coal. But you have something more miraculous and glorious. The Lord God himself, the one who Isaiah saw on the throne, stepped down to earth. He became a man, lived a righteous life, the life that you were called to live. And then he died taking your sin on the cross. He took hell for you on the cross. Christian, hear me. Your sin is forgiven, atoned for, guilt taken away, never to return again. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you have trusted in Christ, then the presence of God is in you. God's presence dwells in you. Again, maybe you weren't called into the throne room, but the God who called Isaiah into the throne room through the Holy Spirit now lives in you. The Holy Spirit has convicted you of your sin, and you realize you were a person of unclean lips, and you dwelled among a people of unclean lips. And now you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are seated with him now in heavenly places. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count sin. If you're a Christian, you are the blessed man. God does not count sin against you. It's not as though you're not guilty, but your sentence for your guilt has been placed on another. You have been given mercy by the authority of another. That's how Isaiah can stand in the presence of the holy, holy, holy God. This is how, when faced with the reality of our sinful heart, he has not crushed you, but he has raised you up. But maybe some of you haven't realized your sin. Some of you haven't been brought to cry out, woe is me. Do so today. We are in the presence of the Holy God right now. Do so today. Cry out to him. You know your guilt. You know what your guilt brings. Today is the day of salvation. If not, you will eventually be in the presence of a holy God upon your death. And you will cry out then, but then there will be no seraphim to fly to you with the burning coal. There will be no atonement left for you. You will suffer eternal woe. You will still be unclean. You will still sin, but you will have no pleasure anymore. In this life, you get some pleasure from your sin, but then you won't. My friend used to work in a drug rehab facility, and he told me there was a medication they would give to recovering addicts to kind of take away the pleasure when they would go back to that drug. So they would still desire that drug, but now there's no pleasure in taking that drug. It sounds torturous. No high in the drug. That's how it will be for the sinner who doesn't repent, who doesn't come to Christ now. No high in your sin in hell. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can come to Christ. You can come to the holy God. The holy God that Isaiah was in the presence of comes to us. He says, if you're in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Your guilt is taken away. 
And what does Isaiah do after he realizes this? God says in verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord say to him, Who shall I send and who will go for us? It's interesting in this passage, who will go for us? Who is the us? Some commentators differ on this. Some say this refers to a heavenly council of God and the angelic beings. Some say this refers to God and his people. And some say this is a reference to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Three persons, yet one being of God. But the most important thing here we need to see is that God is sending someone to do his work. God calls those who are saved to do his work. It is worthwhile and it is a heavenly task. And how does Isaiah react when God says, who will go for us? He says, here I am, send me. Isaiah was to carry a message to the people of God. But this message was a hardening message. This wasn't the good news. Yet Isaiah was ready to go for the Lord because Isaiah knew his sins were forgiven, his guilt taken away. Matthew Henry writes of this, Those only who are purged from an evil conscience are prepared to serve the living God. The taking away of sin is necessary to our speaking with confidence and comfort either to God in prayer or from God in preaching. Nor are any so far, so far to display to others the riches and power of gospel grace as those who have themselves tasted the sweetness and felt the influence of that grace. And those shall have their sin taken away who complain of it as a burden and see themselves in danger of being undone by it. You see, when you realize you deserve damnation, but God, through Christ, gives you salvation. It will drive you to worship and proclamation. Are we as people, saved by God's grace, by the blood of Jesus, sent to deliver a message as Isaiah was? We have a great message to deliver. And also commissioned by God, by the same God that commissioned Isaiah. Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, and Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. His authority is his. He commissioned them, saying, As you go, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey. He assures them he will be with them to the end of the age. While Isaiah had a specific commission to go to the hardened people of Israel, Christians, you are also sent to people. You are to go to them. Maybe some of you aren't called to go far away on a mission field, but you are called. Are you doing this? When God asks you, who shall I send? Are you saying, here I am, send me. Maybe he's asking you, who will go out into Pole Tavern, into Elmer, into Pennsville, into Glassboro? Who will go into your neighbor's house? Who will go to your in-law's house? Are you saying, here I am, 
Send me. You have forgiven me. You have taken my guilt away. Send me. I will go for you. Have you realized what you are saved from? Have you realized what you are saved to? You've been adopted as a son, as a daughter of God, of the holy, holy, holy God. It is great to reflect on God's holiness, to remember he is holy. It is great to reflect on the fact that we can never on our own be holy, but we are made holy by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And knowing these truths should drive our lives to live for God and to take his message to the world. And again, that world might even be in your own house with your own children. Who shall I send? How can you remember this God is holy? Be in his word. Once a week isn't enough. We get to communicate with the holy, holy, holy God. We can go into his presence without fear. We We don't have to say, woe is me. We go knowing we are forgiven. Seek him in his word. Seek him in prayer. We can enter into his presence in prayer. Wherever you are, seek him in prayer. Go where he sends you. Desire to serve the Lord. It might be a fearful thing where he's sending you, but he is with you. Jesus says, I am with you to the end of the age. God dwells in you. Christian, what do we have to fear? Go for him. And remember, when you realize you deserve damnation, but God, through Christ, gives you salvation, the only response is worship. And we tell people, proclamation. The big question is, have you realized this? Have you realized your sins are forgiven? Have you been brought to that woe is me moment? And know that Christ has forgiven you. If so... Seek him. Continue to seek him. You can have all of your sins forgiven. Be cleansed. You don't have to experience eternal woe. You have eternal life. Hear now again and believe the words of the holy, holy, holy God. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And he's making us holy in sanctification. Let's pray. Father, you are worthy of all praise. You have forgiven our sins, all of them. When we trust in Christ, it's because of what he's done on the cross through his life, his death, his resurrection. He's now ascended into heaven. All authority is given. To him, you have given your son all authority. He is who Isaiah saw on the throne. May we go for you, Lord. Wherever it is, may we just be faithful and diligent. May we reflect on your holiness. Knowing that you've forgiven our sins. May we love others more. May we love you more. May we see you high and lifted up but approach you, knowing we are saved and forgiven by grace through faith in Christ. I pray all in the saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us now stand and sing along with the seraphim. Holy, holy, holy.
M100. Holy, holy, holy. 